Welcome to Swimstream's podcast. This podcast is hosted by Krish Subramanian, founder and chief research advisor at Risha.Research. Krish will talk to developers and other engineers about distributed applications and how they are using Swim platform to build their applications. This podcast is sponsored by Swim, a platform to build massively real-time streaming applications. Let us now move on to today's episode. In this episode, I have an interesting guest, Simon Crosby, who is CTO of Swim.ai. I'm going to talk to him about serverless and how Swim works along with centralized cloud services. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Krish. Yeah, I'm general troublemaker, generally known as CTO. Let's set some context here. From your vantage point, how do you define serverless? Some people talk about serverless containers, then others talk about serverless functions. Let's set some context for our listeners by defining what serverless is and then talk about how it applies in the case of stateless and stateful workloads. Okay, so serverless is a fabulous idea. It basically says, hey world, quit you know, worrying about what particular instance or what particular container your thing runs in that is having to know its IP address and how to talk to it and everything else. Just run the application layer and talk application layer language, API calls and so on, and, and let the infrastructure notions go. In other words, start freeing yourself from the notion of servers and instances and so on and let the automatically scaling parts of the infrastructure deal with the fact that they can find the bits of your application that care about what you're about to say. So it's perfect in the sense that you might have an, you know, some device which wants to call out to a service and say, hey, I'm active. You know, why should it know the IP address of a thing to talk to? It can just say, hey, service address, here am I, and here's what I'm going to do. And so serverless simply allows us to step up a level in terms of consumption of infrastructure in a way which frees us from knowing about the particular instance address or the number of instances we need to have in order to allow things to talk to each other. Um, and the, the other beautiful thing that comes from it is that it can automatically scale because we can stick it behind load balancer. And so we can have a bazillion things, all of which are using the same service address as in the URI, to access the service. And a load balancer can allow us to scale this thing across a million servers. So it's a fabulous notion which allows us to deal with broad scaling of um, communication between things without having to know about a lot about how to reach uh, the destination on the way. AWS Lambda is hugely successful. Other cloud providers also offer functions as a service. Example, Azure functions, Google Cloud functions, etc. But I want to know, what are the limitations faced by developers in using these services? So the drawbacks of serverless, if you think about it from the provider perspective, if I want to allow anybody to call any service at any time, I have to be able to provide an elastic infrastructure 
which is able to service any old request at any time. Cool. So um, that means that the infrastructure to provide it is fundamentally stateless. When a thing calls, you have to be able to deal with it. And by the way, if a million things call, you have to be able to deal with them too. So the serverless infrastructure constraints are that the things which process your services or your service functions are necessarily stateless. And so that allows us the cloud provider to scale wide at, you know, if a million things call for the service, then, then um, you know, a million servers can deal with the requests. In parallel, they just have to load up the code and do the right thing. So what comes as a consequence of the initial design is statelessness. And, and that statelessness is achieved through REST. So you're making an invocation of some REST API. And so what happens is a server processes this request. Um, and the first thing that server has to do is load your code find your code, load it, run it, and then typically your code is going to look up something in database, do a bit of processing, store a new thing in database, and get the heck out of there. And then all state that resulted from your processing on that server is deleted. Cool. And then that server can do another thing for somebody else. Now, the problem with that is that in general, that places a very substantial overhead per event. Let me express it to you this way. I might have a million things that need processing simultaneously, and a million servers can do that in parallel, um, and then they'll all mess with their rows of the database. But the problem is that each event could take a very substantial amount of time to complete. I recently experimented with this. So from my home um, to get to an AWS Lambda service was about, you know, 40 to 60 milliseconds. And then I have the time loaded, the time for that server to load my code, which is another 20 to 30. And then um, the time for the invocation to run, which is going to load my code, process an event, go to the database, do a bit of processing, and get the heck out of there. End to end, I'm looking at about 500 milliseconds for about maybe 0.1 of a millisecond of processing time. So the overhead consequence of statelessness is that about 99.999% of the time was idle. And that's the problem with serverless. Okay? That is the statelessness, which lets the cloud deal with, go wide, deal with lots and lots of events per second, is also a down, it has a negative consequence in that statelessness introduces a per event end-to-end -end latency which is completely nuts. Nuts in the sense that you're actually paying for the idle. Arguing from the other side, by imposing the constraint of statelessness, cloud providers could offer functions as a service like AWS Lambda for such a cheap price. Are you saying in the end, it's all going to be 
the same cost, irrespective of uh, whether you are using functions as a service or some other cloud service? Uh, well, I'm going to describe a stateful notion that in a second. And what I'm going to say is that you can go massively faster than what you think you can go for uh, a stateless service like Lambda with. Um, now, uh, the funny side of me might come by the wisecrack like the cloud is how we've given away the last five generations of most laws benefits. Okay, what I told you is that 99.999% of the time, due to rest and statelessness, the CPU is sitting idle. That's a total waste of time. And in that time, the CPU, if I had managed to use the rest of that processing time positively, could have dealt with a vast number of computing problems. Okay, and I'm being selfish, right? My problem. I could have solved my entire problem for all million events in one go if I was running statefully um, and processing events in the context in which I didn't have to go for look update and everything else. So for me, the cloud as it's currently built is about REST, which is statelessness, and databases, one thing per row of a database. And that allows the cloud to scale very wide. It can always find a server to process my request. But when I have some notion of what I want to do, and I know perhaps the network that the thing is on or whatever it happens to be, or I can locate a context and be stateful, I can go amazingly faster. Okay, I can go massively faster and get all of those Moore's Law benefits back. I see where you're going with this. I could tap serverless functions as a service like AWS Lambda with one of the database as a service offering to build legacy web applications, for the lack of a better term, I'm using that. But for today's data-infused applications where real-time data streaming from IoT and edge devices, probably using serverless functions as a service and a database as a service may not be enough. So can you tell how Swim can solve this problem and help us build some real-time applications using this data? The difference between, so I want to be very clear, that serverless is a great idea. That is, you don't want to know the name or the IP address of the instance of the thing that you want to talk to. You want to appeal to a service by some API, but you want it to be stable, okay? And Swim tries to bridge that gap. Um, and, and so what Swim does is allow each thing to have an API, um, and a thing here might be a sensor or you know, a traffic light or whatever, um, and invoke a service. But when, whenever that service um, is invoked, the context is, is present, okay? So every event is processed statefully in the context of the entire past. And so statefulness means that we don't need to go and look up the old state and we don't need to load the code. We don't need to go and look up the old state and database, do a bit of processing and then save this in the database. 
it's always there and in memory. Okay? And so what that means is that we process each event at the speed of the CPU and memory. Okay, so now instead of running at this time scale of hundreds of milliseconds, we're talking about nanoseconds. Okay, and so typically we're talking about a speed difference per event of five or six orders of magnitude. Okay, I was not joking when I said that the cloud is how we give away the last five generations of Moore's law. Now, when we're talking about six orders of magnitude, what I'm telling you is that it's a million times faster to process in a stateful context than it is in a stateless context, okay? Because you get all of the benefits of the local CPU and, and Moore's law. So SWIM is all about following the same notion of state, state of, uh, sorry, of serverless, that is allowing services to be invoked by um, API calls. But when the event is processed, it is processed um, in the context of the state of the thing as it last was, no database call required, at memory speed locally. And that makes things go amazingly fast. But at what cost? As you yourself pointed out, one of the advantages of serverless functions is that developers could deploy their apps without having to worry about managing anything underneath. There is no operational headache. If I'm going to use Swim in a serverless way, there is definitely an operational overhead in managing all these deployments. Can you talk about it and Tell me how Swim handles all this. So ultimate, ultimately, we're building applications. Okay. And so the, the question really relates to how hard is it to build an application either way, right? Now, if you take the stateless approach of doing serverless, then cool, you end up with 10,000 rows of your database being changed. And then on the other side of this, you then have to go and build some app which then processes the changes in the database. At, uh, when does that run, by the way? Uh, we don't know. And so on some time scale, this other bit of the app has to run and you really don't know whether what you are processing is the current state or, or whatever. Okay. And there's complexity there, and you have to understand the app in great detail. In the Swim way of dealing with things, every thing in the world um, simply updates its own state. So it's represented digitally by a stateful lambda, which simply statefully represents the current state of the thing given its raw data. Right? So everything is processing its own raw data in parallel in some big distributed fabric. And then these things link to one another. And linking is essentially a, an, a notion of relatedness, typically from real-world relatedness, like you know um, relations in the real world of adjacency and proximity, or maybe correlation. And so Swim is naturally building a, 
a notion of kind of a LinkedIn for things at the edge, right? Between the stateful little widgets, which each represent their own state. And then the notion of the application, which is what are you going to do with all this data anyway? And what do you want to observe and compute is effectively an operator and you, that is you, the application writer, decide on a separate time scale than the time scale of building and deploying an app. What operators you want to drop into your data flow pipeline as it's built in order to compute and predict and analyze. We separate the notion of building the model and then the, anal the analytical functions as you drop in. Okay, I'm now trying to wrap my head around this concept you're talking about. Can you give some examples where, within quotes, stateful serverless approach using Swim will be useful? Sure. So in the city of Las Vegas, we predict traffic, and we do this in a bunch of cities in the US. We get 64 terabytes a day. That's 500 megabytes a second from the infrastructure. Okay. That's way more than you could ever send to any cloud, um, even if you could afford the bandwidth. It's just nuts. And so we can deal with that safely on a server at the edge. Okay. It's a Windows Server 2012 instance. It turns out with 24 cores and 64 gig. But we can deal with it, and then we end up with a little stateful model, which we build on the fly, of about 2,000 intersections and all of their sensors. And these ones, so the digital twin of every intersection, learns from its own data and the data around it and predicts. But that learning gets done in Azure. So we're bleeding the state up to representation measure. This is a good segue to talk about the next topic. I have been interested in knowing how Swim can build modern data architectures so that data flows smoothly from IoT devices like sensors to edge gateway to centralized cloud services offered by Microsoft, Azure, Amazon, and others. I think Swim is a good candidate to create that kind of a pathway for data to flow smoothly between IoT devices, the edge networks, and the cloud. The recent announcement with Microsoft, Azure, and Swim also talks about one such use case. Can you talk about the announcement and explain us how modern data architectures can be built to smoothen the data flow from IoT devices to cloud. Cool. So, you know, I think in the early days of cloud, everybody said, fine, just give us your data and, and you can write the apps in the cloud. But nowadays we realize that you can't just give the cloud all the data. You need an on-ramp. And that on-ramp is ideally stateful. And I just gave an example, which is the traffic data processing where you have vast amounts of information coming off the infrastructure and you have to clean it, label it, um, process it, analyze it, and perhaps you're even selling insights from that to people like Uber and Waymo and Lyft 
But at the same time, we have a city government which wants to um, better configure their lights and so on. So you have multiple timescales in which you want to deliver benefits. So in the context of Azure, what we can do is clean the data at the edge. Everything labels its own data and streams that cleaned and labeled data into something like ADLS, Azure Data Lake Storage, at a vastly reduced data rate, maybe one ten thousandth of the original data rate, um, for persistence and analysis on a slower timescale by city government and so on, who are trying to set up the traffic lights to do better. Meanwhile, we are running predictions um, which utilize the information using instances in Azure with GPUs attached, and the instances um, present those predictions via an API to customers like Uber and Waymo and Lyft, who dynamically you know, acquire these predictions, that is, every intersection is continually streaming its predictions of the future. Uh, and typically that gets pushed into something like their Kafka or whatever, so they can consume those uh, streaming predictions on the fly. So the whole idea here is that we can bleed computation between the edge where we really need to clean and label and whatever, do all the obvious processing vast amounts of data um, in the infrastructure at the edge, and then utilize the cloud uh, both for storage and long-term analysis, and also for the computationally complex stuff like GPU-based learning and so on, and then present the insights as predictions um, as a stream to other organizations who want to consume them. And the whole solution is deployed and managed using Azure IoT and Azure IoT Edge. Let me see if I got the announcement right. SWIM sits as a gateway between Azure IoT and all the sensor data, thereby regulating the flow of data and removing any bottleneck in the data flow to Azure IoT. Is my understanding correct? Yeah, it's more like this. We're building a stateful Lambda-based model deployed into a hybrid infrastructure and, and giving the right insights and the right reduction in data, label data into ADLS for people who want to write apps in Power BI and so on. And all of this is managed using the Azure IoT um, management framework. I get it now. We are almost close to the end of the podcast. So before we end the podcast, can you sort of make some predictions on where everything is going? We have cloud providers on one side. We have tons of sensors and edge devices producing real-time streaming data on the other side. Swim is trying to bridge this gap and make the data flow smooth. If you put your prediction hat on, where do you see the world is going in the next few years? And how do you see Swim fitting into this kind of a worldview? Well, I think the key, the key point we tried to get at in this podcast is the need for a stateful on-ramp to the cloud, okay? And that uh, simply because there is so much boundless data 
that trying to process this and this stuff on second dad basis is a big waste of time. Okay. And so what we need is a stateful on-ramp, <clears throat> which is able to analyze, learn, label, and reduce data, and maybe even predict um, from vast amounts of, bound, of boundless data, so data streams, on the fly. So simply streaming data to the cloud and sticking it in storage is a big waste of time. Doing something stateful on the, which can reduce it and, and think about it on the fly is important. So for all use cases where there is boundless data, a notion of a stateful lambda is really important. So our aim is to be that stateful lambda and the use cases are simply growing. Now we dealt with IoT, I hate the term IoT by the way. There is a notion of streaming data arriving in the cloud which is um, aligned with edge devices and that's say mobile handsets, they could be anywhere on the internet and so you'd be running in tally in the cloud. But there are others too, you know, instrumentation of all of my instances running in Azure, all of my containers. Uh, all of my Kubernetes deployments and so on. And so there's just vast amounts of streaming data arriving from infrastructure, from employees, from products, from things. And the way to process that is statefully. Swim as a stateful on-ramp to cloud. That's a good way to put swim in the context of cloud. Thanks, Simon, for a great conversation today. We spoke about how swim offers stateful serverless kind of experience and how it works with various cloud providers to sort of make the data flow seamless as well as saves costs for users. Thank you for your time. It was great talking to you. Thanks. In this episode, we spoke with Simon Crosby on various topics, including how Swim can be used like a serverless Lambda function, but for stateful workloads as well as how Swim acts as a stateful on-ramp to various cloud services that are available. It was a great conversation, and I would like to bring Simon back to Swim Streams podcast sometime in the future. In the meantime, I want to thank Swim.ai for supporting my effort, talking to various experts on distributed systems and how we can build modern applications for distributed systems. Thank you. Looking forward to talking to you all in the next episode.